That is why I have got to catch him this time, to show these kids that the example he sets is a first-class ticket to nowhere. Oh, yeah, you sounded like Dirty Harry just then. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason. Wait a minute. Where's Steve? I can't believe that he's thinking he can stay at home on a day like this. I mean, how can you stay at home like a day like this when there's podcasting that could be done? I'm going to call him on my phone. Hello? Steve, where are you? Come on, it's a great day outside. Let's go podcasting. No, I don't want to. What, are you sick? Uh, Why can't you just let me rot in peace? Because I'm the Bugs Bunny character in this bit, and I'm the one that's going to force you to do what you don't want to do, even though you know that I'm a manipulative bastard. Now get up and get over here. I need your car. Why can't you just leave me alone? Because I'm nothing if I don't have someone to manipulate. Alright. If you don't come over, my entire world's going to fall apart. Don't you understand that, Cameron? I mean, Steve! Uh. Alright, I'll be right there. And I guess if you need me to impersonate someone on the phone for you, I'll do that too. Awesome, thank you! Okay, I'm, I'll be right there. <sighs> thank God. Thank God. I changed my mind, I'm not coming! No, you're trapped now! <laughs> Click! <laughs> <laughs> hey everybody, that opening bit didn't explain anything about what we do, as per our norm, right Steve? <laughs> Why do people even listen to the opening? Why not put that right in the front of the show so that they have the opportunity to turn off the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everybody. On this show, Steve and I take a classic movie, and we see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. Mm -hmm. And this time around, we're going to take a look at that classic teen comedy from the 80s called Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Or, alternately, (laughs) Ferris Bueller's 10th day off, (laughs) if you were paying attention to the movie. Yeah, it's it's not quite as special as you might think. What did he do during the other nine days? Probably the same things. More crimes. Anyway, we're jumping ahead a little bit, guys. The exact same thing. Hey, Steve, do you got any trivia before I tell all the people about who made it and when they made it and why they made it and how much money it cost? Uh, no, actually, I don't. I don't really have anything. Okay, good. I, I'm, I'm not a font to Ferris Bueller trivia. Why not? Everyone's supposed I, to be. I, don't you understand? <laughs> You're supposed to love this movie. You're oh. supposed to love it blindly and without a hint of cynicism or criticism. Oh. It's got like a nine million on Rotten Tomatoes. It's, it's It was put into the film registry as, as artistically significant. I'm, I'm told that it is one of the quintessential films of the 80s. I won't argue that. It definitely oh. <laughs> it definitely is one of the quintessential films of the 80s. But now we're going to talk about who made it. We're not going to review the movie before we review the movie, right? Right. We're going to we're going to hold back. That's right. We got to <laughs> keep something in reserve for the people who stuck past your your daring of the audience to turn off the podcast. That's right. Le- leave them wanting more. That's what I always say. <laughs> All right, let's talk about who did it. John Hughes did everything. The end. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Blame him. No, we're not, we're not doing that. It was that directed by John Hughes, uh, who also directed 16 Candles and Pretty in Pink came out the same year. 
and um, Baby's Day Out, which is, you know, required viewing for anyone who uh, is strapped into a bed in an insane asylum. Which did and... not come out this same year, by the way, in case <laughs> no, you thought that this was an even better John Hughes year than it actually was. And Home Alone for people who enjoy uh, torturing people. During mm-hmm. Christmas time, that's a great movie too, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, John Hughes, film auteur, John Hughes. I'm saying that because he also produced it with Tom J- Jacobson. It's written by John Hughes. Here's some trivia for you. Are you ready? Yeah. Well, the the screenplay wasn't finished, and at the time, everyone was afraid that the Guild Ride, Guild, the Writers Guild of America, was going to go on strike. So John Hughes wrote the screenplay in less than a week. Was never edited, never even revised. That was the script they they went to go film. So, yay! <laughs> <laughs> it stars Matthew Broderick as Ferris Bueller. Hey, you know who else they considered for uh, Ferris Bueller's part? Who else did they consider? Uh, a lot of the usual suspects, um, like John Cusack, mm-hmm, I can see Michael that. J. Fox, yeah. Tom Cruise. Oh, I think I the the smug smarm level would have gone. I, they would have buried the needle if Tom Cruise had played Ferris Bueller. Oh God, yeah. Can you imagine Tom Cruise as Ferris Bueller addressing the camera? Yeah. <laughs> no. And last but not least, Jim Carrey. Now that would have been different. A lot of people don't know that Jim Carrey was kicking around Hollywood for a real long time before you know he made it big with the mask and then. Yeah. And then kind of his stars. He's not. No one likes him anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jim. It happens. The bloom is off the rose, you know? <laughs> you peaked, dude. Go back to TV. You can there's a career for so waiting much. for you. Yeah, there's a career waiting for you on TV. You can do one of them sitcoms where they oh, don't yeah. have an audience and you just talk to the camera like it's a pretend documentary. Those are yeah. popular now. Or get yourself a show on AMC or FX or something, you know? You can, you can play a, a police detective with some kind of bizarre mental disease hey, hey. that gives some quirks or or he could star on a procedural in cbs and it would probably run for 20 seasons yeah there you go and it's I mean, money in the b-a-n-k jim they put their shows We're... on auto renew over there you'd be set for life <laughs> because i'm gonna tell you what jim you're not getting a marvel property no one's doing it <laughs> the only person that you could possibly play would be plastic man and that's dc and boy i think i just saw their last movie go down the little hole at the bottom of the toilet <laughs> yeah you don't yeah i mean go for marvel if you can jim but don't get sucked Actually, into dc he would be a great plastic man though yeah like, he would be sure um steve dc yeah. signs up ahead saying turn back this is not what they tuned in for <laughs> oh, should we go back to talking about the movie <laughs> we just spent five minutes talking about jim carrey's career uh yeah let's go back well, to talking about the movie, what other right? podcast can you get these sort of you know yeah. nourishing digressions on? <laughs> okay, there's other people in the movie. Okay, Alan Ruck as Cameron, mm-hmm. Mia Sarah as Sloan, Jennifer Grey as Jeannie, Jeffrey Jones as Edward R. Rooney, Linman Ward as Tom Bueller, uh, that's uh, his dad, <clears throat> Cindy Pickett as Katie Bueller, his mom. Those two people met on that movie and got married. Oh, a happy ending. And then they got divorced the next time they played a married couple in a movie. Right after that. Oh, a happy ending. <laughs> Edie McClurg is Grace. Ben Stein as e- economics teacher. Del Close. Hey, guys, uh, Del Close is Del Close to my heart because he is a icon in improvisational comedy. And so if you uh, ever take an improv class, Del Close, um, invariably you're going to read a lot of his, his improv techniques. He seldom made any appearances in movies. He would have been he's a fantastic character actor. Um, and just so if you watch this movie, he plays the English teacher. He's the one that says, the, the whole boring thing about the 
prison and then he draws prison bars or that's still yeah it's important only to me i guess I well sure. i mean it's a shame that because i'm familiar with del close too it's it's a shame that john hughes didn't give him something you know like funny to do true virginia capers <laughs> hey didn't we have a movie with virginia capers in it already did we i think i i recognize the name anyway she plays florence sparrow a character i can't even remember in the movie can you <laughs> <laughs> um isn't is she the nurse maybe yeah she is that's how we remember virginia nurse, capers because yeah. she's been around forever okay charlie sheen as the boy in the police station his character has a name but like i said if we don't say the name in the movie he doesn't have a fucking name you can give him a name in the credits doesn't make him a character and he's basically playing himself anyway mm, kind of uh richard edson as parking garage attendant see they didn't yeah. jonathan yeah and jonathan schmuck as the maitre d of shake music by ira newborn cinematography by tak fujimoto edited by paul hirsch hey steve yeah take a wild stab at what the length of this film was after the first cut. Oh, after the first cut, I have no idea. Two, two, two hours, and hours. And, two hours and forty-five minutes. Oh my fucking Christ! <laughs> A lot was cut out. A lot was cut out. Edit. Edit, hey. edit, edit. Mm-hmm. Distributed by Paramount Pictures. Released on June 11th, 1986. Running time, 103 minutes. Budget, $5.8 million. Box office, $70.1 million. So it was another great big money-colored feather in John Hughes' hit cap. And this is how he kept getting movies made for a long time, was because he would take a tiny little budget and he turned it into a blockbuster. Yeah. Right, Steve? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That, and that's why he was able to continue making increasingly bad movies well into the 1990s. Oh, yeah. And no one could stop him. Only <laughs> one thing could stop John Hughes, and that was the thing that awaits us all. <laughs> the, that, he died, is yeah. what I mean. I don't mean that there's a monster at the end of this book. I mean, he has, he has a, he, he'd be passed away. John he, Hughes is dead. He, is, he was mortal. He went up yeah. to that big studio in the sky. And he's making crappy movies about babies up there. <laughs> babies eternity out. Coming soon from John Hughes. All right. You ready? You ready Let's to go into the, the parallel universe that is the Ferris Bueller universe? Yeah. <laughs> yes. The universe. Like laws and time don't apply. <laughs> All right, let's All right. Uh, let's get up in our, our best 80s gear. You were five, so I don't know. You were probably wearing, like, little overalls. You are probably wearing your Oshkosh, Oshkosh Bagosh and yeah. little sneakers. My Yoda jammies. Yeah, I was a teenager, so I was dressed like a pony boy. Look up what that is, guys. I don't feel like explaining it. And uh, I got my mullet back. Oh, Jesus Christ, I got my mullet back. Yeah, baby. Oh, Steve. <laughs> I have my one earring in my left ear. Because back in 1986, that meant you were straight. <laughs> <laughs> it's your time, man. Live it. That was important apparently <laughs> and let's steal a car and go drive it in the world of ferris bueller's day off steve well this i didn't movie... say do it <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry what are you doing <laughs> i jumped I, I, I jumped my cue again i'm sorry it's fine i was waiting because i don't know if i want to go back to 1986 reagan <laughs> was in office and he was deep in his alzheimer's dude was, no one was talking about it. <laughs> he was pounding jelly beans and sleeping through staff meetings like there was no and tomorrow. calling everybody the wrong name and not knowing what his job was. And and joking about starting a nuclear war with a television camera right there. <laughs> <laughs> Max Headroom was on the TV. MTV still played music videos. Wow, a bygone age. Yeah, I, I've heard <laughs> I've heard tales of this time. I myself was too young to remember. Where ninety percent of the movies that came out were all about about a future in which we had awful leaders and it was and America was a wasteland. Huh. Oh, a bunch of far-fetched <laughs> nonsense. 
<laughs> All right, now I'm going to do it, Steve. Okay. Take it away. Okay. You know, it's hard to tell if you don't pay very close attention to the movie, but it actually takes place in Chicago. Um, and we cut to, we, we, we open on the, the Bueller house, you know, we get some Man. establishing shots. Bueller like, house? The, the Bueller mansion? The Bueller estate. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it literally has columns in the front of it. It's like mm-hmm. a, a huge, it's a rich white person house. And poor Ferris Bueller, our lead character, is in bed, and his, his mom and dad are sort of standing over him, and she's like, I'm worried about Ferris because he's catatonic. He's just yeah. laying there, not blinking they're trying least... to wake him up, and he's he's got a fixed stare. Yeah, which normally in regular world it would have merited a call to the ambulance. He'd be like, "Please come and get my catatonic son." Yes, my son is non-responsive. Mm-hmm. But they're just they figure, well, he must just have uh, the flu or something. Yeah, you know the kind that makes you go catatonic. Yeah, one of those catatonic <laughs> flus. <laughs> That's how people died in the 1900s. You do know that, right? It's like, oh, they'll get over it. They're just staring at a fixed point. Is... <laughs> Whoops. Or they'll die. Guess I misjudged that one. Oh, well. We can just make another kid. It we... It's the 1910s. We've got like five kids. <laughs> That's why we had this many. We, we got we made spares. We prepared for That's this. That's right. We have ten, and if two live to adulthood, we're doing great. That's right. 20, 18 years of free labor. Come on. Um... <laughs> now make them drink more of that Coca-Cola with actual cocaine in it and put on this mercury hat and go <laughs> out, outside kids get out there and plow the field you eat this radium idiot eat this. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> dr spankwell says it's good for you <laughs> drink your tincture and get to work <laughs> we need to bring back tinctures <laughs> We need to bring back tinctures, balms, and unguents. <laughs> and physics. <laughs> anyway, okay. so, uh, but there's someone there. They're very uh, gullible and concerned. Mm-hmm. And his sister, Jeannie, yes. doesn't buy it. No, she doesn't be- believe it. Because she has what is sometimes called common sense. Um, I think what she has is, uh, oh, I had a word for it, and now it's gone. It's uh, when you're a hostage in your own house. <laughs> She has common sense, and she can see through straight through that Ferris is is faking. Yep. Now Ferris does another thing, which would have prompted an immediate nine one one call. In which, when he hears the sister, he pretends that he's gone blind and can't see her. <laughs> yes. Again, the parents are mildly concerned, mm-hmm. and they end up agreeing that Ferris, because Ferris, he he he, when they say when the the prospect of him staying home from school is raised, Ferris protests mm-hmm. and he says, "No, he I says, have to I've, go. I have a test. I have a test today. I've got." To go. And they're like, no, stay here and have soup. Stay here all alone, blind catatonic child. Stay stay here and 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 have some soup and get some rest. We're we gotta go work now and we'll call you and make sure you're okay. And he's like, okay. And they leave and Jeannie storms out and then uh Ferris starts breaking the fourth wall, talking directly at us, or then this is an alternative view. He truly is a psychopath. <laughs> Or he's just that sick. <laughs> he's hallucinating. He's hallucinating. <laughs> oh, so this should have been called Ferris Bueller's Fever Dream? Is that what is that what the alternate title for this? Per- perhaps. He never actually went anywhere? He was just shivering under the covers in that bed for the entire movie. <laughs> in real life, he's an unpopular dick and everyone hates him, but in his fever dream, everyone loves him to the point in which they rally and raise money yes. for his fictitious illness. He's the most celebrated human being in the city of Chicago. <laughs> um... 
<laughs> so yeah, so he he turns to the camera and he breaks the fourth wall and he says, "I can't believe they bought it." And then we have this sequence where he's continuing to address the camera and he's sort of explaining yeah. how he fooled. He his gives parents. us a lesson. Yeah, he gives us a lesson. Lesson number one, kids, on how to fake illness for fun and profit. Yes. And when she basically says, you know, you can fake a thing and then with stomach cramp and then lick your palms and the sweaty palms and it works every time. Boy, my parents are stupid, gullible jerks, fucking idiots. Man, I've done this <laughs> nine times this semester. I love taking advantage of them. Yeah, I they, do. I they love seem playing. to really care about me, and I love, I love to pull the wool over their eyes. Using their love and concern for me to fuck shit up. <laughs> I don't understand why my sister hates me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is also, then, it's also in this sequence where he, he drops one of his great pearls of wisdom on us, which is, mm-hmm. uh, life moves pretty fast, and if you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Yeah, but it's not as important as the next thing he says, which is, while he's taking a shower, that, um, you know, he doesn't care, he had, does have a test on, uh, on European socialism, and he says he doesn't care about Europe, and they could be fascists for all he cares, because he doesn't have a car. Yeah. yeah, the whole rest of the world could fall into ruin, into a fascist dictatorship. But Ferris really only cares about the fact that he got a computer instead of car for his birthday. But it's okay, because later when he comes out of the shower, he says he doesn't condone fascism or any kind of ism. And then he quotes John Lennon at us, like every other fucking douchebag who wants to use another douchebag. Yeah, that's right, John Lennon fans. Another douchebag. <laughs> Burning to, bridges left and right here. <laughs> to justify. Fucking, come on. He was a phony. Can I? <laughs> that is a very deep cut for anyone who's read Catcher in the Rye or know anything about history. I am a monster person at this point. <laughs> but you know, I, speaking of, of Ferris's of his his attitude toward you know his his European history test. I mean, can you just? Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny to think about. But can you just imagine if like you know an entire generation of people grew up and they never grew out of that adolescent self-absorbed attitude? Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Are you saying that there could be an entire there could be an entire generation that doesn't know the difference between socialism and fascism? <laughs> Can you just I mean it's just fun That's to think impossible. about. It's... You mean rich white males not knowing the difference between socialism and fascism? Fascism in America? <laughs> and, and, and they don't even care because they're incapable of caring about people different from themselves. All they gotta know <laughs> is that all they gotta know is that it's bad and then people can use it to manipulate them and get them to vote for them. Where are we going, Steve? Where are we going? Know. This it's movie just, brought this out of? I a, just slammed John Lennon. It's just a fun hypothetical. <laughs> Made fun of his assassination. <laughs> yes, you did. Too soon. Yeah, it's only been, what, 35? 35 years? 40 yeah. years? <laughs> 37 years? Whatever. Too soon. Anyway, he, he wanders around the house, has nine costume changes, mm-hmm. and makes it... <laughs> it says that uh, high school is childish and stupid. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you sure told high school, Ferris. But then we cut to to school. Yeah. And guess what, guys? It's boring. <gasps> if Ben Stein's taken role and yeah. he's looking for, for Ferris Bueller, yeah. he's ben, not there. Ben Stein in his star-making role. Oh, fuck. Fuck Ben Stein. Bueller. I hope you die soon and you and Hedda Hopper strangle each other in the afterlife forever. Bueller. <laughs> it's not funny now. I, I don't know. know why you think... <laughs> I know. 
But just think, if not for this movie and Ben Stein becoming a, a celebrity because of it, he would never have gone on to make Expelled. So, you know, there's that yeah, to consider. Or made that, that show Ben Stein's money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if not for that, we never would have had Jimmy Kimmel. So see, yeah. see. And he never would have he never would have been selling us uh, uh, eye drops on TV for oh, years see. and years and years. I mean, it, it really is the butterfly effect, isn't it? You know? Yeah, no. I mean, if not for this movie. Mm. <laughs> anyway, so um, Ferris needs a ride because he doesn't have a car. So he calls Cameron, who lives in this modern mansion, I yeah. guess. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. And Cameron's actually sick. He's actually sick at home. He says he's sick. He doesn't feel good. And Ferris is like, I don't care. Come over here now because uh, I don't have a car and you have a car and I want to cut school and, I'm, and I know you're sick, but I'm going to endanger you getting pneumonia or bronchitis or something worse. Come over here. I'm manipulating you because I'm a Svengali and you have no will of your own. That's basically the scene, <laughs> yeah, right? Ba- yeah, ex- exactly. You're, you seem like you're really sick, but I need a ride, so get over here. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as he's off the phone with him, because Cameron hangs up on him, Ferris reveals that he doesn't have a very high opinion of his friend as he's sipping um, alcohol? Iced tea? <laughs> I get, yeah. In his backyard? Because this is his ninth costume change this morning? And he's he's like, uh, my friend Cameron's really uptight and he needs to loosen up and, and um, yeah, he's, I don't know. I know why I hang out with him because I, I get things from him because... Uh, <laughs> because he's like a puppet. I can just manipulate yeah. him <laughs> <laughs> do whatever I want him to do. Meanwhile, we go to the actual hero of this film. Ah, Back yeah. at the school, we meet Dean of Students, Ed Rooney. That's right. And he wants to know where Ferris is. Because that's his he, job. That's his job. It's what he does. And he looks on his computer, and he knows that Ferris has missed nine days of school in one semester. That's a lot that for is one a lot. semester. <laughs> anyway, um, he pretty much has Ferris pegged. He knows that he's faking, and he knows that Ferris, uh, you know, uh, flaunts authority, and that he sets a bad example to other students and that he needs to make an example out of him. Otherwise, other kids will start thinking that they don't need to show up for school and have a flippant attitude about themselves and their future and graduating and, and the whole high school will just fall into chaos. Right, Steve? Yeah, that's the, that's the whole deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, um, now we get to the first crime. You ready? <laughs> yes. The first crime is that as um, Ed Rooney is calling um, Ferris's mother at work and saying he's been gone nine times from school, I can see it right here and as he's looking at his computer screen the number of absences changes and it turns out that Ferris is hacking into the school computer to change how many how many days he's been absent that's uh computer hacking yeah that's <laughs> illegal and also why wouldn't Ferris have just done that before now why wouldn't he because have done it last night because it's funny now oh that's right <laughs> it's so funny because it's happening now yeah i okay. would like to remind everyone that hacking the school computer is a minimum as a misdemeanor 6 months in prison and a fine up to $1000 or both. <laughs> and even in the 80s, it was relatively easy to trace that sort of thing. So, Oh, it was more. It was easier in the 80s Ferris, than it is now. Yeah, Ferris would not have gotten away with it for very long. Uh-huh. But no matter how um, Ed Rooney phrases it, um, Ferris's mother, who is a sap, defends her fake her, her son, who's fake up. Yeah. Fake up. Bu- he's right. Ed Rooney is right. <laughs> <laughs> and you're an idiot. And then that scene's over, and we go back to school where it's still boring. And then we cut to Ferris, who's dancing like a lunatic to the I Dream of Genie theme for no reason. We just cut to it and he's dancing to it. Yeah. Why? Because his sister is named Genie and there's a transition at the end of it where it cuts oh. from him dancing to the tr- I Dream of Genie theme to a scene right. with Genie. See? <laughs> it all now, fits together, my friend. Then we cut back to school and there are some kids on the payphone talking to Ferris and Ferris is continuing to manipulate people 
into feeling sympathy for him by pretending that he's sick and um, people are actually concerned that he is gravely ill. Yes. That, that's the whole scene. Yeah, he, <laughs> and, and he has he has a keyboard that he has... And he's uh, having a blast doing it, too. He's got a smile on his face while he's tricking people into thinking that he's sick. He, he has a keyboard where he has sampled, like, sounds of sneezing and coughing and stuff so he can... And farting. Yeah. And all that, yeah. So he can make sick noises sort of on command so people on the right. phone will think that he's in a terrible way. Mm-hmm. Dean Rooney says that something... Hey, we cut back to Dean Rooney and he says something's up. I know this kid's up to something. You're right. Follow your instincts. Uh, he's talking to his secretary and she lets him know that um, Ferris is popular with everybody. Yeah. With everybody at school. Everybody loves Ferris. Isn't that great, Steve? Everybody. Aren't you glad we're following around this rich white kid who's popular? Isn't that great? Don't you, don't you just feel like you're Ferris in this movie? <laughs> I hope that whatever happens in this film, Ferris is okay. Uh-huh. That's my only concern. We, yeah, yeah. So then we cut back to Ferris, who uh, convinces Cameron to come to his house while Ferris draws naked women on his computer. Yeah. And while he's on the phone, uh, Ferris's father calls just to prove that his parents are decent people who are concerned about their son being sick, and he tricks them some more. Um, then we cut to Cameron, who has been beaten into submission, who is literally angry that he has no control over himself when it comes to Ferris Bueller. He's punching his car, he's getting out, he's having physical fits and tantrums because he knows that he's being manipulated and there's nothing he can do about it. And this is one of Ferris's closest friends. Yes, this is, <laughs> uh, as far as we can tell, his best friend. Uh-huh. Yes. You can tell all the... And boy, it seems like Cameron's getting so much out of this friendship, isn't it? <laughs> I think, so I, now, I think we see how much Cameron's getting out of it at the beginning when he is balled up in bed and refuses to get out. <laughs> he doesn't want to leave his room. That's how much he's getting out of his friendship with mm-hmm. Ferris. Well, we, we can't dwell too much on Cameron's um, hostage situation crisis. We have to start with crime two. Mr. Beaner kidnapping. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where um, they we meet Sloane, who's in class, and the nurse comes to tell her that her grandmother has died. And when Dean Rooney hears that, he asks, who is she dating? And um, his secretary says, Grace says, oh, um, she's, she's been seen with Ferris Bueller a lot. And he goes, ah, ha ha. He's right again. Yes. This is just another trick. He's really the but, only non-gullible adult in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so uh, then uh, they get a call from uh, supposedly Sloane's father. And uh, he thinks that it's Ferris Bueller tricking him. And then he says, yeah, you can have your daughter if you can produce a corpse. And then another phone call comes in, and it's Ferris Bueller. And then they have a freak out because they think they've done something really, really super inappropriate. And then it just turns out it's another trick from Ferris, and that's Cameron pretending to be Sloane's father. Ha ha ha. And, oh yeah, Ferris is in his 900th costume change at this point, where he's now wearing a suit for no particular reason at all whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He just, he wears the suit so he can make a James Bond reference. Not even really a joke. Just remind the yeah. audience that James Bond is a thing that exists. But meanwhile, while Cameron is now complicit in this crime of kidnapping, um, because he's pretending to be Sloane's father on the phone, he accidentally says, uh, I want Sloane out front all by himself. Um, Ferris has a freak out. And then he says, you know what? No, I want you to come out with her. I want to have some words with you. And then uh, Ferris has a real freak out, hits him, and then kicks him and uh, hurts Cameron's feelings to the point which Cameron says, fuck it, I'm not going to do this. And then in true manipulative sociopathic fashion... (laughs) 
Um, Ferris is petulant about kicking Cameron, um, but as soon as he realizes that he's not going to have the car for the day, he apologizes to him and then steals his father's car. On to crime three. Yeah, steals his father's car over Cameron's vigorous protest. Mm -hmm. Cameron basically begs him not to take the car. Crime three, technically, is not Grand Theft Auto. It is criminal trespass or joyriding, Ah. which is uh, in Chicago. uh, One year in jail, and uh, $2,500 fine. So now we're up to two years in jail and $3,500. I don't think that they would say that he stole it, although there would be a little thing in there where is if you go for a joyride and the car is destroyed, they add a stipulation on there. So we're looking at maybe three to five years at this point. Hmm. Um, now, here's the funny thing about the car. I know you're not a, a gearhead. No, right, not Steve? so much. No, not so much. Not so much. I like cars. I like cars. Um, the car in question is a 1961 Ferrari 250 GTS WB California Spider. Only 56 of these cars were ever made. Recently, one went out, one went up to, uh, for auction, and it sold for 15.2 million dollars. Now, granted, that's a modern price for this car. Back in 19, 1986, it would have been roughly the equivalent. It is an extraordinarily rare an incredibly expensive car for Cameron's father to own, which once again solidifies the fact that Cameron, his father, his family, is rich beyond the dreams of avarice. Boy, howdy. <laughs> That's a lot of Honus Wagner baseball cards there, buddy. Uh-huh. And despite the fact that Cameron says no on several explicit occasions and also offers to rent a limousine rather than take the car, Ferris gets in the car and drives off with it. Comes back and says live a little, and Cameron, being the person with no will of his own, knuckles under and gets into the car. Then they kidnap Slope. Yeah, yes. Yes, they do. In a scene that really completely <laughs> sidesteps the whole how are we going to get her in the car without Rooney realizing it's us in yeah. the easiest way possible. They just pull up to the curb and Rooney is at the top of the stairs and they can't tell, you know, Ferris is down there in like a trench coat and sunglasses and a fedora and mm-hmm. Rooney can't tell, you know, who it is and he just lets Sloane walk on down on her own and mm-hmm. he even stands there while Ferris and Sloan make out in front of the car while Rooney yeah. watches and Rooney just kind of mm. waves it off and goes, oh, so that's what it's like in their family. Yeah. Now, kidnapping. Yeah. <laughs> now, we have to assume that Ferris is either 17 or 18 years old yes. because he is a senior. Yes. They let us know that Sloan is not. She is a junior, which means that she is 16 to 17 years old. When presented before the court for kidnapping, <laughs> they would take that into consideration. So no matter how many times Sloan said, no, I went willingly... <laughs> It won't fucking matter because the basic thing is he picked her up from school, put her into a stolen car, and drove away. (laughs) (laughs) But I would say that at best, this is second-degree kidnapping, which has a minimum sentencing of five years. So now we are up to seven years. We're racking them up now. (laughs) Yeah, we are. We are. Yeah, we are. (sighs) And you, uh, by the way, he also says at one point, because Cameron says, okay, we're going to take the car back. Ferris says, and this probably is, was his defense in court. If you had access to a car like this, would you take it back right away? My initial response was, if it wasn't mine? Yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> if it wasn't mine, I wouldn't be driving it in the first place. If my name wasn't on the registration and I didn't have the owner's permission and I was driving around a $15 million car. <laughs> I don't drive stolen, priceless cars as a rule. <laughs> a- you know, I'm not saying I would never 
ever do it, but as a rule. Mm-hmm. Then they drive to Chicago. We cut back to the school where kids are raising money for Ferris's fake illness because the people at school are decent people. And he's faking everyone at this point. Yes, he's faking the everyone. entire city of Chicago, apparently. His fake illness is escalating to a point if they ever found out that he was faking, they'd murder him. They they would they would immediately turn into a lynch mob if they found out that he was faking the entire Boy, time. They're going to have some really interesting questions for Ferris when he comes back to school the next day, aren't they? <laughs> We got back to Dean Rooney, who is now convinced that the whole thing is a setup, that he's out on his own, and yeah, Dean Rooney is right. He's still right. Then we come back, and they park the car in the garage. Ferris assumes that the attendant doesn't speak English, because remember, he's a white, privileged kid. <laughs> he literally says, you speak English? <laughs> the attendant <clears throat> says, what country are we in? <laughs> yeah. And then we have a close call where Ferris's mom has gone home. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And she and, and she's coming in to check on her little boy who's sick. And she's going to find out that her son is a lying little sack of shit. Yay. <laughs> Luckily, thanks to Ferris's yeah. ingenuity and his mother's complete lack of curiosity, he gets away right. with it because he has rigged a, a dummy connected to uh, his stereo that plays snoring mm-hmm. sounds so that when his mom yeah. opens the door, what appears to be him but is actually a dummy in his bed sort of rolls over a little bit and it yeah. sounds like he's asleep and she just sort of leaves well enough alone and leaves him in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so crisis averted. So now let's go do the fun, fun things that teenagers like to do when they come at school. First stop, the Sears Tower. Okay. Sure. This is where we find out the camera doesn't like his dad. We're going to find out more about that. It would help if we ever meet his father and find out what he's like, you know, in person rather than to just have this related from one person's opinion. But we don't ever get that because we might find out that Cameron is crazy and that his father actually genuinely loves his son and that they're just having a misunderstanding because Cameron seems to be under the impression that his father only loves the car, which I don't think is probably true. But since we're only getting one-sided, one one side of this argument, we're supposed to assume that Cameron's father is some sort of inhuman, unfeeling monster, right? Yes, his father is a bastard. Right, because we're supposed to believe everything that Cameron says. Because Cameron exactly. is a reliable narrator. Uh-huh. So, uh, next stop for them on their fun-filled cut day, they go to the, the, they go to the stock exchange. Yeah, because I, yeah, I don't uh, know why. So, be, be, so that Cameron a, can make a, hand motions. Yeah, did a 50-year-old write this movie? It sounds like something a 50-year-old would do on his... If he just decided not to go to work, he's like, ah, you know, I'll go up to the top of the Sears Tower and look around, and you know what? I've never been in the stock exchange. That seems interesting to me. I'll go there. Then they go to a five-star restaurant. You know what? A 50-year-old did write this. <laughs> yeah. You know what would be cool is if I just snuck my way into a five-star French restaurant. That would be awesome. And they get up there, and the maitre d's like, wait, Ferris takes a name out of the register, right? Yeah, he picks a party of three that hasn't shown up yet and just says, yeah, we're these right. people. Yeah, so fuck those people who actually made reservations probably months ago. Yeah, right. And traveling from another state. And when they get here, they're going to be told that you already filled your reservation. What the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> get out, good figures. You <laughs> the cops. You imposters, get out of my restaurant. Yeah. Um, so uh, the maitre d' doesn't believe him, and then there's a bunch of uh, phone foo, and Cameron impersonates a police officer on the phone. Oops. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> um, well, you can't do that. And then just when they think that uh, both Cameron and Sloan say that he's going too far, and Ferris says, um, you can't, you can never go too far. He says that out loud. Yes. You can never go too far. Anything's justified in, as far as Ferris is concerned for him to have a nice day off I guess good thing he learns his lesson by the end of the movie right right <sighs> yeah right so Jeannie yeah so Jeannie has left school she's gone home no she hasn't she's at school yeah and she's wondering aloud why is the f- 
Ferris always gets a, gets to get away with all yes. this stuff. How come he never gets into trouble? And uh, she comes up with the only logical answer in the movie, and that is screw him. Yes, that's <laughs> one of my favorite scenes in the movie. She's just standing mm-hmm. alone at the end of a hallway, fuming with rage. Yes. <laughs> And then she leaves. Yeah, and then she leaves. Um, then we cut to Ferris, who is in the bathroom, talking to nobody, or to us, yes. or to the people in his head. <laughs> and he justifies everything that he's doing because he's, quote-unquote, helping his friend, right? He's yeah. helping Cameron. This is all Cameron's well-being. Yeah, because Cameron's right? house is, is you know, his, he says his parents are cold, and, you know, if, if, he, if Ferris lived there, then he'd, you know, probably be like Cameron, too. And he just wants to get Cameron to, to go out and have fun, because he says Cameron's, he keeps saying how he's he's too, he's wound too tight. Yeah. You know, he just yeah. needs to relax and let go and let loose. It's all for Cameron, see? Mm-hmm. That's right. Meanwhile, we cut to Dean Rooney, who is now out on the town looking for Ferris. He goes into a, is this the scene where he goes into a pizza joint? Yeah. And then uh, says something inappropriate to a girl who spits soda in his face. Wah, That's the whole wah, scene, wah. guys. <laughs> Um, and then Bueller and company go do a baseball game. Yeah, that's right. Okay, you know what? A group of 50-year-old men wrote this fucking movie. That's the only thing I can think of. They have not done a single thing that I can think of a team wanting to do on their day off. They cut school. Do they go to the arcade? No. <laughs> do they just hang out at the ex- uh, at the estuary and get high? Nope. <laughs> do they just sit at home eating snacks, watching MTV? Nope. nope. No. They, they go to Sears Tower, the stock exchange, a five-star restaurant, and a baseball game. It, you know, this definitely was written in less than a week, and and they have a <laughs> and they have a great time at the baseball game too. Even in oh, the, yeah. even in the eighties, when I think baseball was was a little more popular than it is today, it's hard to imagine mm-hmm. like a seventeen year old or an eighteen year old having such yeah. a ball at the ballpark. Yeah, and it was one of those day games in the morning or <laughs> afternoon. I'm not sure what time it is because a lot has happened in the scant hours since he woke up. Yeah, it's but whatever it is, it's it's definitely a day game, mm-hmm. and uh, and he yeah. catches and Ferris catches the foul ball. Yes, he does. Right? Yes, he does. On, t- everything on TV, works out for which him. Rooney narrowly misses. Yeah, I know. So now Jeannie is looking for Ferris, too. And Rooney shows up at the Bueller home. I, I, I'm sorry, the Bueller mansion. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Bueller estate. And he goes up to the doorbell and rings the door. And uh, there's a message thing which Ferris says, Hi, I can't come downstairs because I'm really sick. And Rooney's like, You come down here, you're in a lot of trouble. And then he knocks on the door and rings the bell. And the recording that was there plays again. And Rooney knows, Ah, gotcha, Bueller. And Gotcha. That's right. And um, then he tries to sneak around the house to look in the windows, and we cue up some of the goofiest and wackiest stupid hijinks music I've ever ever heard. Yeah. It was like we were suddenly in a Three Stooges movie. We get well, What we see is a little bit of John Hughes working out the kinks of his Home Alone premise. <laughs> Just stretching his legs, testing out some of these bits, you know? Mm-hmm. And while he's losing his shoes in mud, and um, a hose thing goes off, and he's dirty now, um, we cut away to the parking attendants who have taken Ferris's advice. Do you remember what Ferris's advice was? It's steal if you people's had access cars. To a car, if you had access to a car like this, <laughs> yes. would you take it back right away? <gasps> the attendants have gone on a joyride too, and we can't be judgmental of them or angry at them because they're doing the exact fucking thing that Ferris does. Exact fucking thing, right, Steve? Yes, and they're driving responsibly. Well, sort no. of. No. Give them <laughs> fuck hill, at this they're, point. They're hill hopping a little, but come on, it's a nice car. Okay, so Rooney, at this point, has been driven mad um, (laughs) by trying to find Ferris. 
So he's going to attempt a little B and E, <laughs> and he gets attacked by a. He sticks his head in a dog door flap, and it turns out that the Bueller family have a Rottweiler. They have an attack guard dog. Oh, by the way, that they've apparently had this whole time <laughs> yeah. that we never. No one ever mentions by name. They probably never meant name it. They, they probably <laughs> don't even know they have the dog. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets chased around by the dog, and he's like screaming. It's funny because he gets he gets mauled by an animal for doing his job. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> so keeping in line with the fifty uh, fifty year old men wrote this, they now go to the art museum, and I fucking give up, Steve. I give up. They go to the, the I. That's something that I would enjoy doing now. But if I when I was seventeen years old, the idea that I would go to a, a modern art museum or a classical art museum for fun in the middle of the day, I don't see me doing that ever, ever at any point. Do you? Really. You wouldn't even stand there as Cameron does and stare psychotically into Sunday on the Island of La Grande Jatte when until you I was... see a single dot of the pointillist <laughs> painting. When I was his age, the only thing that I would stare psychotic psychotically at are girls' boobs. Oh, okay. That's it. That would have been a little different then if they would have had. Cameron yeah, that would have been that. a little different. Yeah, but Cameron has some uh, a catharsis, a, a mental break. Um, something happens to him. I don't. We don't know what it is, do we? No, he just yeah, he just kind of he he he. he reaches Pete Cameron all of a sudden. Because <laughs> right after that, they're walking down the street and uh, he tells Cameron, Cameron says, I need to get back. And Ferris says, no, we got the whole day. We have until six. And Cameron says, well, if I thought you cared, I'm telling you the truth now. I know you don't care about me, Ferris. I know that you say you care about me to justify all the shit that you do. I'm getting kind of tired of you using me as an excuse for being someone with no responsibility. What are you going to do when I'm gone? I realize that I'm the only reason that I'm here with you right now, Ferris, is so that you can justify all the shit you do and still look like a nice guy. But the truth of the matter is, is if I wasn't here, you'd just be doing all this shit and everyone would see that you're a fucking asshole, Ferris. And Ferris realizes... He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't quite say that, but... <laughs> but Fer, you know, Ferris realizes that the, the thing he has to do to win back his friend is to make himself the center of attention. Yeah. So that's what he does. And, you know, well, I mean, they say this in a cab and then they almost run into Ferris. Okay, they, we missed a part. They almost ran into Ferris's dad at the restaurant. Right. And then they steal and his cab you know, and get away. Yeah, and then they're in a cab again later, and then his father is in the cab next next to him, and they almost get caught a second time. Um, and oh, that's also when we find out on the paper that Ferris's father is reading that Ferris's illness is now in the newspaper. Good thing his father doesn't read the entire paper, I guess, mm-hmm. huh? <laughs> so now uh, Ferris is going to prove to Cameron, like you said, by becoming the center of attention, um, that he actually does care about Cameron, I guess. And um, we go to a parade, a, a parade. Yeah, that, that just happens to be happening in Chicago yeah. on that day. On a weekday, yeah, sure. Why not? In the middle, in the middle of the afternoon. Oh, yeah, in downtown Chicago. <laughs> does I'm sorry. Does is that not something that happens? No, mainly because if you tried to have a fucking parade in downtown Chicago on a weekday, traffic would be backed up all the way to frickin' Maryland, is what would happen, what, Steve. Can you imagine how pissed off the people who went to that baseball game must be? They can't get out of the parking lot? <laughs> well, that's the other thing, is they're having a baseball game in the middle of the fucking day when no one can go see it, yet the ball yard is packed. Did you notice that? It's, well, because it's Ferris Bueller Day. Everybody knew that he would be oh, there. Oh, right. And everybody loved fucking... Anyway, all teens love parades, I guess. Yeah, boy howdy. Uh, and so then Ferris says, I'm dedicating this to my friend. And then he lip syncs uh, Donkey Shane. Yeah. And then he lip syncs a Beatles song. And the crowd acts as if they've never, ever seen lip syncing ever. And they've never heard the song before. And they think it's fantastic. And everyone cheers. And yay, Ferris. See, Cameron, don't you feel better? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Everyone loves Ferris. He used you as an excuse to get up and showboat. You do realize that, right, Cameron? Well, but it kind of works. No, no. Cameron's like, oh, that Ferris. <laughs> That pal of so, mine, what a nut. Then then Dean Rooney was still at Ferris's house. A delivery is made, a vase full of flowers. And Dean Rooney takes the vase full of flowers and kills a dog with it. <laughs> he poisons the dog with the flowers. He doesn't poison it. He hits the dog over the head with the vase of flowers. And we're allowed to know that the dog is still alive because it's snoring. Um, the dog Jenny, has serious brain damage, but yeah. it is still alive. Jeannie comes home, runs upstairs, opens the door, screams in, in anger and triumph because she, she exposes that. That yes, indeed, her her brother is faking. And while she's upstairs, upstairs, Rooney sneaks in while she's home. And then she hears Rooney downstairs, thinks it's Ferris, comes down to surprise him, sees the dean of students from her school, fails <laughs> to recognize him as such, and kicks him, what, three times in the face? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And boom, then runs boom, off. Boom. She runs upstairs. And um, she calls the cops. And the cops aren't much help either. <laughs> <laughs> because they just don't care if someone is invading the home of a teenager, I guess. Meanwhile, Rooney, Rooney's car is getting multiple tickets within a half hour period. Don't yeah. know how that works. And uh, then she calls down through the intercom in their palatial mansion estate. Then um, she's called the cops and she has herpes and she has a gun. Yeah. Because she's afraid that she's going to be assaulted sexually because that's always a source of humor. And so Rooney... <laughs> Rooney leaves and his wallet magically pops out of his pocket. Out of his, it looks like it fell out of the leg of his pants, doesn't it? It's when, possible too. Yeah. He's a little shredded, you know. Yeah, he's a little shredded. Um, and uh, now we cut back to the garage. They're driving somewhere and Cameron discovers the mileage because we, we we neglected to say this the big point of the thing was was that Cameron said that his father had noted the mileage on the car which was 162 something or when yeah. when they took it out and he says he, he wrote down the mileage um and that he'll know if we drove it and uh, they get into the car, and he sees that the mileage is now 300-something. I mean, that's a joyride. Uh-huh. <laughs> Those guys from the garage oh, yeah, are looking for a joyride. Well, they'll be lucky if there isn't a body in the trunk or something. <laughs> anyway, so Cameron screams and goes into shock, right? Yes, and so Ferris and Sloan, probably mostly Ferris, I would imagine, do, do the only thing that you could do in that situation when your friend is so despondent that he becomes catatonic, just sitting mm-hmm. there open-mouthed slack jawed in shock that is mm-hmm. to go to the pool no to they go to a, they the go pool. to a lake first <laughs> they go to they go to the the side go to the side of the lake and while Sloan is trying to revive Cameron oh that's right yeah we get a whole lot of opinions about from Ferris about Cameron's future and about what kind of future he's gonna have and how he's gonna marry the first woman that he's gonna sleep with and she's not gonna respect him and he's gonna be so grateful and how can anyone respect someone who's always kissing your ass and all this other stuff Ferris apparently has Cameron's entire future worked out to the nth degree. Because Ferris is wise. Yeah, because Ferris is wise that way, because in all of his 17 years, he's picked this up. He knows the future, or whatever the fuck it is. Wherever he's getting this (laughs) wisdom from, he's absolutely fucking right about his friend's future. It's not that he's a sociopath or a psychopath who's doing these things. This is him explaining to the audience why he's doing this, just in case we've had some little niggling doubts about Ferris Bueller's um, entire 
dire reason for torturing his friend for uh, for our entertainment by the way up until this point right yeah. so then we go to the pool yeah whose pool is it i have no clue it's not a uh, ferris's it's not pool a, it's not a public pool because they're the only ones there no it's uh, it's a backyard it's somebody's pool. pool it's got a it's got a hot tub connected to the pool cameron's sitting on the diving board they're sitting in the in the hot tub um it's not cameron's house it's not ferris's house fuck they probably just be and eat and just hey look a pool i bet they have a pool that'd be awesome so they're just uh using someone else's property for fun i didn't even add that in but let's fuck it let's just add a little bit more time onto there let's do six months and a thousand dollar fine for that crime anyway <laughs> uh in this comedy i guess cameron attempts suicide yeah or maybe he was kidding i don't know i don't know anyway cameron falls into the pool and uh expels all the air in his lungs and sinks down to the pot right yes and he just sits there motionless mm-hmm. and then ferris jumps up jump goes down there pulls him up pulls him up, puts him up on the thing does not start cpr he acts terribly concerned that his friend is has injured himself and scared and then cameron opens his eyes and lets him know that he was just kidding and then that whole scene of tension is over now there were a number of ways this could have gone and i always like to envision the one in which there were no witnesses i.e sloan wasn't there in which cameron goes into the pool and <laughs> ferris just looks at him and cameron never comes up again <laughs> <laughs> ferris turns to the camera and says something smart ass you know like he says something like this life's too short to have friends who are going to drag you down <laughs> Cameron wasn't going to have a very happy life anyway. He was so uptight. Remember the thing I told you earlier about him being able to turn uh, coal into diamonds if I shoved it up his butt? Yeah, and I don't really need that. You know, he's going to go to college and then eventually wash out and come looking for me, and I want to be free after high school. And then (laughs) then he just takes a sip of his drink and some fucking 80s music starts playing. And then they pan out, and you can see Cameron's body floating around in the pool. (laughs) No, he he says that whole spiel, and he he just takes a beat and does like a cold death stare into the camera, and then goes... does a smiley smirk <laughs> and he goes what <laughs> this is me hard hard cut to him in a suit in a courtroom <laughs> <laughs> this is me this is who i am this is who i've always been <laughs> So now we cut to Jeannie, and she's at the police station. Yes, and she's she's making a new friend. Yeah, who's the new friend, Steve? It's Charlie Sheen, playing himself in an eerie foretelling of his future. Yeah, he's <laughs> a drug user or seller. Yeah. And he is like, why, you're just mad at your brother because he gets away with it, not because uh, not because you actually hate him. You just hate him because he gets away with stuff. You could cut school, too. Hey, kids, listen up. Don't get, don't get angry at kids who cut school. Don't get angry at kids who get away with lying to your parents are playing on their on their emotions and feelings don't don't get don't get upset because the parents are oblivious to the fact that your sibling is a <laughs> lying sack of shit who uses their emotions against not only them but you don't go don't get angry you're just angry because you can't get away with it right steve yeah exactly it's really you know if you think about it it's really her problem yeah it's, it's all her on fault her. yeah it's her fault yeah ferris is blameless in all this right i mean what's stopping her from cutting school come on exactly like, so, like, hey ferris kids everyone so can bad. cut school and lie to your parents it's awesome yeah just go ahead personal property that That doesn't matter fuck it come on you you, why don't you go steal some priceless cars (laughs) instead of sitting here pissing and moaning about it save it save it Uh, genie 
with your yeah, fucking whatever. bullshit. So now we cut back to Cameron's house, where they're trying to run the odometer back by uh, putting the car up onto a lift and uh, running it in reverse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. S- surprisingly, that doesn't work. But we have to have the... <laughs> Cameron has a breakthrough, right? Yeah. Where he uh, finally says, I'm tired of my dad. I never defend myself. Um, I, I'm always... He always he's always pushing me around. Um, boy, this monologue would have a lot more meaning if we actually saw those things happening and we could identify the Cameron father character as someone that we could honestly dislike, but instead we're just getting one side of this argument. And then he kicks the car, and uh, Ferris doesn't know how to react to this kind of emotion. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of stands there, and then um, Cameron leans his foot on the car, and it goes tearing off backwards through a glass window, off a cliff, and into the gully behind his house. Yep. Oops. The multi-million dollar car is thrashed. And then something happened that surprised me beyond all reasonable measure, because there is absolutely no reason that we have been given to believe that this character will do the thing that he is about to do. Do you know what that is, Steve? I believe you may be referring to Ferris offering to take the heat for Cameron. That's right. Yes. He says, I'll do this. You can't handle this. I'll do this. I'll, I'll take the heat. I'll and tell your dad I did it. Your dad hates me anyway. Yeah, I'll be able, I'll, I'll, I can handle this. This is, this is, I'll, I'll do it. And Cameron goes, no, I'll do it. It's about time I stood up for myself. Yay, the character arc <laughs> for the not main character of this movie. <laughs> At least somebody had one. <laughs> sure as fuck wasn't Sloan. I guess Cameron's okay now, right? He's all better. So far as we know. The pa- the, po- the portrait he painted of his father means that Cameron has a- only a few more hours to live. <laughs> Cameron's gonna get thrown out one yes. of those great big plate glass windows and land right on top of that fucking car. But it's okay because uh, we gotta cut back to Jeannie and the drug dealer and they're, uh, they're making out. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I guess that's all she needed was to make out with a drug addicted reprobate. Fixed her right, right up. Yeah, fixed her right up. Right up. Yep. <laughs> so glad she's all better now. And now we cut back to Sloan and Ferris, the couple who, uh, with, you notice we didn't mention Sloan a whole lot because she's not a character. She's not. Occasionally she, she says lines. At one point when they're at the stock exchange, Ferris was talking about marriage or some bullshit because that's what girls are good for. Anyway, um, <laughs> this is the couple with zero chemistry. You have no idea why they're together at all whatsoever. Um, yeah, they, they then, seldom even interact when they're in scenes together. She had nothing to do with the plot. No, no real interactions with any of the other characters. She had no plot arc. Boy, I'm glad she was in the movie. And now she's out of the movie. And she ends up by saying he's gonna marry me you're a fucking junior in high school you're a junior in f- I'm gonna tell you something Sloan as soon as he goes off to school if he goes off to school or when he goes to prison or when he goes on his murder spree and you're away from him for more than three weeks you're gonna find someone else and you're gonna be like I can't believe I thought I was gonna marry Ferris Bueller you you are 16 at best 17 years old you aren't marrying anybody hopefully young unless lady. you get knocked up yeah, yeah young lady unless you get knocked up but other than that when he's gone count your fucking blessings because i'm going to tell you something else there's nothing worse than someone who was popular in high school coming back to that high school to hang out with you because you're still in school oh yeah there'll be a new ferris bueller at school and you'll want to ride his dick not ferris bueller because it's gonna be old news sorry i'm going out with the new ferris now 
So um, now we have Ferris, and he nearly gets hit by Jeannie, who for some reason is driving home from the police station with her mother. Yes. And his conveniently, his mother does not see Ferris, but Jeannie does. And now we have a race home against Jeannie in a car, and Ferris committing multiple trespass. <laughs> yes, running through people's yards, through people's houses. Through people's houses. He runs through one guy who's barbecuing and takes his beer, yeah. soda, something out of his hand as he runs through and drinks it. So that's misdemeanor theft and trespassing. Boy, he's just jocking it up. We're up to like at least 15 years at this point. Boy. He gets all the way there. He, he does a, the longest uh, <laughs> jump into his own yard ever. And Jeannie's getting there and she's running into the house. And he goes up there and he looks for the key under the mat. And what happens, Steve? <gasps> the key's not there! Who has it? It's that damn principal who has been chasing him all these months. He holds, it's, it's Rooney. He holds the key in front of his face and he says yeah, you're looking for this Mueller you little oh, bastard you mean we're going to get a happy ending we're going to get a happy ending to this movie <laughs> I've got you now yes Jean Valjean has been captured by Javert <laughs> And then Jeannie comes into the kitchen, and she can see that Ferris is caught. Yep. And Rooney's like, you are going to get another year of school, and you are going to, uh, under my direct supervision, and you're, you're not going to be able to move a toe out of place, and oh boy, isn't that the most horrific thing you've ever heard, Steve? He's going to have to repeat school. Yeah, I know. Because then, he chose to quit most of yeah. it. <laughs> because he was, he was truant by his own free yeah. will. But because Jeannie had the tongue of a crack addict in her mouth <laughs> only about 15 minutes before she has discovered she's discovered forgiveness yeah, yeah mainly because finally ferris has got caught too he's not going to get away with it this time that's right unless she intervenes and then she comes in and she says oh ferris how dare can you imagine he's walking home from the hospital that's crazy come on get in here ferris ferris is happy he has that stupid smirk on his face again god i want to wipe that smirk off his face so bad <laughs> he goes in the house and then genie tells uh, mr rooney that he left his wallet in the kitchen last time he was there and he's like oh oh spaghettios i've been foiled right yeah um rats ferris gets up into his room turns off all the stuff disconnects all the stuff in his room there's a call back to the baseball game because he has that foul ball that he caught and yeah. he uses that at the last second to turn off his stereo right before his parents come in when his parents come in he continues to pretend to be sick his parents still are gullible chumps who <laughs> love a psychopath and um then he turns to the camera and re restates his his life motto which is what? Life comes at you pretty fast, and if you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. So manipulate. Manipulate, kids. Manipulate as much as you can. Your own... I get bored easy. I get bored so Dang. easy. Some days, all I can think about is that the only thrilling thing would be to kill someone, probably. <laughs> I get so bored, guys. <laughs> Just remember, the people that you meet in your life are not individuals with their own thoughts and feelings and lives. Right. They are just resources to be plundered, and you should plunder them without conscience and without and remorse. And if you, you think you know better, manip manipulate the circumstances around their lives to utterly destroy them and then tell people that you are doing them a favor. Because that'll that's how you win people over, right? <laughs> Trust me, it works every time. <laughs> <laughs> And then the credits start, but then we get the, the scene of Ed Rooney taking the school bus of the damned. <laughs> Because they see him walking on the side of the road. He's been destroyed. He walks back and he sits next to a nerdy girl. He looks up on the school, roof of the school bus and it says, what, Rooney eats it? Rooney eats it. And then he turns and looks at the camera. Yeah. Just like Ferris Bueller does. He has grown. He has gained the power. He doesn't look beaten, does he? No. He looks evil, Steve. <laughs> 
His lust for revenge has made him strong. <laughs> He's become a supervillain. And in the sequel, we never get he finally kills Ferris Bueller. <laughs> Rooney's revenge. Why isn't this a movie? That would have been, see, the first one was for the kids. The second one would have been for the parents. <sighs> the after, and then we get all the way to the end in which Ferris, who has condescended to everyone and been a smartass to everyone, all the other characters in the movie, is finally going to condescend to us for making us feel like morons for staying to watch the credits. <laughs> yeah. Comes yep. out and says, "What? You're still here? Go, you fucking morons! You're, you're not supposed to care who made this movie. What are you doing? Get the fuck out! Go, God! You I can't believe I made people. this movie for you. <laughs> We've already got your money. Just get out of here. Get the fuck out, idiots! Who care about you? And then it should have had one final ending scene where, after he gets out of prison, <laughs> <laughs> twenty-five changes, years later, he changes his name to Patrick Bateman oh. and becomes <laughs> it works in the stock market and eventually." gets elected president of the United States. <laughs> no, I'm honest. I'm serious. American Psycho is the sequel to this movie. Yeah, that, that's 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 who Ferris turns into. Yeah. The end. <sighs> the end. <laughs> so, Steve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. How do you feel about this American comedy classic? Uh-huh. This, this teen, co- teen comedy to end all teen comedies. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Well, I'm, I'm going to start with the good. Uh, I'll say something positive about it, and that is... Yeah, you fax the life of this shit. You take the good, you take the bad. You take them you both. take them both, and there you have <laughs> Ferris Bueller's <laughs> Day Off. <laughs> the, the good is... There are a couple good things, but the, 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 the number one good thing that I come away with is, golly, Chicago's a photogenic city. Chicago's one of my favorite cities. Chicago is Chicago is one of the most beautiful cities in the world, and it, it it really it's arguably the most film friendly city that there is. It always looks gorgeous when it is used as a location in films, uh, mm-hmm. and there's tons of Chicago in this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. You really get to to appreciate the how beautiful that city is. So that's that's a good thing. Um, I don't yeah. per, I don't particularly blame the actors <laughs> for the film. <laughs> I feel like for the most part they did the best they could. Uh, no, there's no bad performances except for Mia Sarah, who has been given nothing yeah. and can't really act. Who doesn't really have anything to do anyway, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There is one scene in the movie that we mentioned earlier as we were going through the plot that I think sort of encapsulates um, why I think overall I don't like the movie, but also the ways in which it, it, it struggles to sort of overcome its limitations and be a good movie. Um, and that is the scene after, it's the scene in the garage near the end after the, the Ferrari has gone through the window and, you know, uh, Ferris has offered for some reason that is completely against his character to take the heat for his friend and and Cameron says, no, I have to do it. And Ferris is like, are you sure? Because, I mean, your dad's going to murder you. Your dad will murder you for this, you know? And Cameron's like, no, I'm going to talk to him and it'll be okay. And then there's like this, this, this push in and hold on Alan Ruck's face as Cameron and he is just doing everything he possibly can to sell this moment and and make it something that the audience will buy because as you say as we, we we've mentioned already we never see Cameron's parents in this movie and after that car scene all that all that I want to see after that is the scene where he tells his father what happened
happened. That's yep. like that. It rate it cre- the movie creates that expectation in you where you now that's what you want to see. You want to see that scene where 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 Cameron confronts his father and has to explain. What well, he certainly to the invested car. enough dramatic tension oh. into the scene where he has his emotional breakthrough. Oh, absolutely! It's a scene that we're desperate to see, and we don't see it. And and it's ultimately not important. Yeah, and and John Hughes, I think, and you mentioned how quickly the script was written, and I think John Hughes, the filmmaker and the the writer, knows that he has created this expectation in his audience by telling the story in this particular way, and now he's stuck in a situation where I think a lot of people, if you've ever written a story or or worked in any sort of creative endeavor, uh, have found yourselves, and we've all been there, where you realize that what you have isn't quite good enough, and you can't change it for whatever reason, you're too late in the process, so Mm. now you just have to sell it. Yeah. And God damn it, Alan Ruck tries his best to sell this as yep. acceptable. And mm-hmm. and he comes close, but he just doesn't quite do it. And I think I think that stands for the movie as a whole. I feel like as as scripted, this is not a very good movie. It's not funny enough to justify the various things that the characters do. It's not funny enough to justify what a, a jerk, sometimes psychopath that Ferris seems to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it it just it doesn't get it done on the script on the page but the cast tries their very hardest to sell it as what it is mm-hmm. to make it seem like it's better than what it actually is and for yeah. me personally it just doesn't happen it just does mm-hmm. I, I, it never sells me as better than what it is I mm-hmm. think that it's I think that it's smug I think that it's glib I think that it's it was a huge mistake to make it about Ferris who learns nothing and changes in no way like the closest he comes to a character arc is when he offers to take the heat for Cameron but then well he... his whole proposal for the movie was that there was going to be a character where nothing where nothing bad happens to him where he's always on top he's literally a Bugs Bunny character yeah but even then Bugs Bunny has a moment where he's on the bottom at the beginning of every Bugs Bunny cartoon he's always being oppressed by something and right? and and yeah absolutely so he has to fight his way up yeah and so he's bu- the underdog yeah, who but... also happens to be a badass yeah but yeah exactly Bugs Bunny is unbeatable but he's also he's punching up you know he doesn't mm-hmm. live he doesn't live in a mansion <laughs> you know? nope and also and I feel like this is somewhat important Bugs Bunny existed in four minute cartoons <laughs> That were just a series of clever gags strung <laughs> along, and they were perfect. They were perfect little jewels. And uh, you know, if you if you take that mentality and saying I'm going to have a character who's like Bugs Bunny and he'll be indomitable, and I'm going to make it the subject of a 90 minute film where he'll never be wrong and who won't learn anything, and he'll manipulate all of his friends and family to, to allowing him to have his way, and he won't get any comeuppance and he won't show us any personal growth, and it'll be great. <laughs> like I just, yeah. I mean. I feel like I feel like the rule of funny applies where if this movie had been funnier if it had made me laugh a lot more I would be way more forgiving Jeffrey Jones can't do everything in the movie yeah, dude I know but it because because it doesn't it's not that funny and it has all of these glaring weaknesses in terms of its characters in terms of its story I mean you just mm-hmm. mentioned Jeffrey Jones uh the, the it's just he's just doing his job like yeah yep. he he's he's a little too obsessed with Ferris Bueller but at the end of the day that's in the script he's just a dude doing his job he's he's it's his job to make sure that the students come to school and when he discovers that a student has been chronically truant he investigates and he wants to bring that student to school and at no point is that character
Hunter wrong about his assessment of Ferris. Yeah, that's what he's he's the only smart character other than Ferris in the movie because mm-hmm. he sees through Ferris's bullshit right away and he's right every single time. And so I mean, it's I, I, to me it just it, it puts a huge burden on its cast and 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 the cast is as as talented as they are uh, are just not able to overcome the huge deficit that they start with because of the script because it's I think I think it's shallow. I think it's way too pleased with itself. I think it grossly overestimates how cute and charming and ingratiating it is. Uh, and I just don't think it's a very good movie. <laughs> I just don't, I don't, you know, I don't care for it. I just don't care for it. Okay. My turn. Do it. Okay. We're going to start off with what is probably the most common defense of the film. Why are you taking it so seriously? It's just a silly movie. It's got goofy stuff in it. And it does. It does. It has goofy, silly stuff in it. The only problem I ever have with, with a movie that has goofy, silly stuff in it. And I should approach it as goofy, silly stuff is when the movie wants me to take it seriously. And the mm. movie wants me to take Cameron seriously. Yeah. Cameron feigns suicide. Cameron goes into shock. Cameron apparently has parent issues that are much bigger and broader than this silly, goofy little movie. Cameron mm. breaks down and starts crying and beats up his father's car. And that scene isn't played for laughs and giggles. It comes out, literally comes screaming out of nowhere at the end of the film to address the overall issues of what Cameron's doing. So when you tell me why am I taking it seriously? Oh, uh, that's because the movie wants me to. Yeah. See, that's the problem. Don't don't tell me to not take it seriously when there are serious issues going on with one of the characters in the film, and they obviously want me to take it seriously. Okay? Yeah, it is, for the most part, a goofy little, you know, almost absurdist comedy, up until that point, where they're like, yeah. now, you, now you need to care about Cameron and what he's going through. So, that defense of it kind of falls apart when the movie, when the movie makers put dramatic beats into the film that I am supposed to pay attention to and care about. And the problem is, is that Cameron is not the main character of this film, and we're not following Cameron around. If we were following Cameron around and it was the story about Cameron, that story would have ended with Cameron breaking free of his manipulative friend. If we watched this movie from Cameron's point of view, where Cameron wakes up, he's sick, we meet his parents, they're a little oppressive, maybe a bit controlling, they tell him you can't touch things in the house, blah blah blah, we get, we establish an actual relationship with him and his father, not just a um, one-sided one-sided relationship where one character is relating it to us as an audience, then this movie changes a great deal because Cameron's going through a lot of shit and then his flippy, I don't take anything seriously, come on, let's let's go out and do stuff, friend calls and basically forces him to go out and cut class and steal his father's car and all that other stuff. That is a completely different film. And we get to see a bit of it. It's the only d- dramatic stuff that's in the movie. Like I said before, Sloan has nothing. Sloan has, yeah. Sloan, Sloan could be excised from this movie entirely and it wouldn't make a difference to the plot or the script. Not really. <laughs> she doesn't have jack shit to do. So <clears throat> when I watch this film, I would love to be able to take some of the goofier stuff. I acknowledge that Jeffrey Jones is really funny. Uh, the uh, the lady who plays Grace's Edie McClure, she yeah. uh, she's really funny. There are some funny scenes and moments in the film, but for the most part, the movie itself hasn't aged very well. Um, watching it again this time, I really did not laugh all that much. And also watching it this time and really studying that if I have to take Karen McCameron seriously, then I have to take Ferris seriously and when you take Ferris seriously he turns into a monster <laughs> and that's and that's a problem yeah. for the film 
because at this point all of your sympathy is going into you know his parents this poor dean the, <laughs> the you know his friends even his girlfriend at some point ferris acknowledges that that he has a problem with with sloan because she's a junior and he's a senior and he's going off to school but that's the only point that he brings it up and it's never a discussion between him and sloan because she doesn't matter as a character genie is a more interesting character than 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 uh than ferris is oh big time but a lot of this stuff gets wrapped up in the last 10 minutes of the film for convenience sake because the writer decided that Ferris is the hero and nothing bad happens to Ferris and Ferris is always on top. So everything else has to wrap up so that it's good for Ferris and the one way he has to do that is to make it so that Janie comes to some fucking stupid understanding about her brother, which I, we don't really get. What we really get is the fact that she made out with a boy and she gets all happy and giddy because she made out with a boy at school. Yeah. The other problem with this film is that there is not a single adult character that's competent <laughs> that, you know, is all of the, every authority figure is is either, you know, school is portrayed as boring and awful. It has to be portrayed as boring and awful because our protagonist is cutting school for a reason. Um, he has a lot of, of these ideas about how life works and we're supposed to forget that this is a 17, maybe 18 year old kid making, you know, throw throwing his philosophy around as if it is sage wisdom. And at the time he was talking directly to other teenagers. <laughs> 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 so in the end, if I don't find it funny, and the only things that I'm actually engaged with are dramatic beats, which are not going to be fulfilling because I'm not getting that story, I'm just kind of like, okay, this movie hasn't aged well. It's 30, what, 30 years old now? Yeah. Um, what is it going to be like in 30 more years? You know, is it still going to be, you know, the end all be all when you look back at... There are comedies that are 70 years old that are still funny because they speak to things that are funny. This speaks to jerk kid who manipulates his friends <laughs> and cuts class. And I know people who are like, oh, I identify with the Ferris Bueller character. You can't. You can't. Really? You think that there's a real life person that you can identify with who 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 gets away with all of the shit that he gets away with? If you're identifying with him, you're a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, back away slowly from anyone who says they identify with <laughs> Ferris Bueller. Or that they're their hero. And I know that there are people who have set up study, you know, in colleges studying Ferris Bueller. There's a guy who wrote an entire book of philosophy and put his show on the at the Edinburgh uh, Film Festival about, uh, you know, basing his philosophy around what Ferris Bueller says. And I'm like, wow, boy, you know what? All of human history, all of the philosophers that have ever existed up until this point don't, don't count for anything except for the philosophy of this rich, spoiled, privileged <laughs> brat. Well, I mean, didn't Ayn Rand already do that? <laughs> We have a person who says he doesn't care about isms, doesn't really care about socialism, fascism. He, he his his whole philosophy is about himself, really, about making himself happy first. I think is one of the things that he says yeah. out loud in the film. <laughs> so there's not enough here to compel me to like it, to to recommend it. And so what I'm going to say right here, right now, classic, no. It's not going to change the fact that many people still think of it as such. But if you're someone out there that hasn't seen this movie in a long time, or at least or hasn't seen it since you were a teenager, you might want to invest the time to rewatch it to see if your attitudes about everything is it. If you have teenagers of your own, you might get a real different idea about this film <laughs> once it's over with. So what do you think? Classic or not classic, Steve? I'm going to say not classic. Although, yeah. I mean, uh, if you ever encounter... I mean, it's a technically a... Com I mean, it's a, it's a movie. 
movie. It's got, you know, cinematography. It doesn't look terrible. No, no. It's shot relatively well. The, the sets are good. The sound's competent. It's got a fairly decent soundtrack. Oh, the yeah. actors are all trying their best. It's just the content uh, yeah, that's it, the problem. Exactly. It's not like an embarrassingly terrible movie. It's not one of the worst movies ever made, but it, it's, no. it's it, it, it fails to do what I perceive it sets out to do, you know, and that's a big, <laughs> I don't know, that's a big no-no for me. Um, <laughs> and yeah, But at the same time, you know, if you ever encounter a time traveler who stops you on the street and says, I was just in the 80s, what the hell was all that about? <laughs> You show him Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and he's like, oh, okay, yes, I get it, absolutely. Uh-huh. Thank you. See, I the, 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 there's a bigger part of me that says, well, I think what Ferris actually represents is a baby boomer's idea of what they would have what would have liked to have been as a teenager. Oh, yeah. Self-obsessed, justifying their behaviors, no matter how detrimental they are to others, by saying that they're overall trying to help them. You know, um, unappreciative of the things that they have. <laughs> that was boomers in the 80s, guys. Yeah. Not all of them. I'm not making a blank state but not all of them but um guess what john hughes was one <laughs> it definitely explains why they did what they did when they got their day off and went to all those hot teen spots <laughs> all right so yeah verdict in not classic not classic so now let's talk about movies that we would like for people to watch <laughs> movies that we wish were classic films right steve oh um, sure yeah absolutely so what would you like to recommend well, please bring the aperitif to to wash this taste out of our mouths. Uh, well, I'm I'm actually I'm going to review a movie that I or review a movie recommend a movie um, that I think is a lot better than Ferris Bueller's Day Off uh, and but is also very similar to Ferris Bueller's Day Off in a lot of ways. Um, it features a character that breaks the fourth wall and addresses the camera. It mm-hmm. features a character who is uh, incredibly self-involved and not terribly self-aware and at times that quality makes the 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 character kind of insufferable um and it is about uh sort of the uh the perils of being a snob and and the <laughs> and the limitations uh of the the devoted snob lifestyle uh which okay. which, which is a level of self-awareness that Ferris Bueller never quite attains um it's a movie from the year 2000 called High Fidelity <laughs> <laughs> and it is a movie that I have very complex feelings about because I, I, I like the movie. I still watch it occasionally and enjoy it. I think it's a funny movie. I think it's it's a movie with, with enjoyable performances and some really, really, really well-crafted scenes. Um, but it also has the same problem that Ferris Bueller has where there are times when it feels like the movie wants you to be on the protagonist's side and he just mm. seems like the biggest fucking asshole in the world. And, and, you, just <laughs> want to, and, and you just want to shake him and go, what the fuck? is wrong with you uh Mm. you're an asshole how can you not see you're an asshole but then at the end of the movie he kind of sort of starts he he has this dawning awareness of what an asshole he is and he (laughs) seems to be on the road to maybe mending his his ways changing his ways um and it's 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 got a ton of great music it's got a great soundtrack of songs from the 60s and 70s it's got a really hilarious performance from jack black this was the movie that made jack black into a star so i guess depending on your opinion of Jack Black. If you fucking can't stand Jack Black, you might not like this movie, but if you <laughs> if you like myself are gen- 
generally a Jack Black fan, uh, you'll enjoy this movie. And Tim Robbins pops up in a really funny supporting role. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's, it's a, a, and as many of the films I recommend in this segment of the podcast, it is a, it is an imperfect, but nonetheless very engaging and very interesting movie. Um, so if you want to see a movie that has a lot of the same qualities and a lot of the same tropes and a lot of the same techniques, even, uh, as Ferris Bueller, but goes in a different direction and ends up in a, a slightly more complex, self-aware place with its main character, I would recommend that you check out High Fidelity. So there you go. Cool. Well, as everyone knows, I try to pick a movie from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed, and I also try to pick a movie that is not considered conventionally as a classic. And I, too, picked a movie that has a great soundtrack, and I, too, picked a movie where the main character talks directly at the camera, oh. and I, too, picked a movie where the main character doesn't actually have an arc, but everyone around him also have arcs. Um, but the movie that I picked is one of my favorite films of all time, and I will go toe-to-toe with anyone who says it's boring and I hate it and it's weird. I like it because it's weird. The movie that I'm going to recommend from 1986 is True Stories. Ooh. A movie directed by David Byrne, written by Beth Henley and David Byrne, and it stars John Goodman, Annie McEnroe, Woozy Kurtz, Spalding Gray, Pop Staples, Tito Lariva, uh, Lariva, excuse me, <laughs> and David Byrne. And basically, it is impossible to really describe... <laughs> It features, if you guys don't know who David Byrne is, he was the lead singer for the Talking Heads, and he decided that he was going to make a movie. It is a comedy about this small town in Texas um, that is going through uh, kind of growth and changes as it's ex- expanding. It's It's got like a little tech hub. It's, it's experiencing its own little tech bubble. And uh, David Byrne is kind of this narrator who literally leads us through the town and exposes us to all of these very unique, very strange characters. There's lots of really really weird musical numbers scattered throughout the film um, and it's one of those films that while at one point kind of satirizing this small Texas town and also kind of satirizing American culture it's not mean yeah. it's not a mean satire David Byrne's character isn't judging anything in fact he, most of the stuff he talks about he thinks is great and he's, he's he's not the greatest actor in the world but he's perfect for this role because he seems genuinely pleased when he meets people he doesn't there's no sense of irony to the character as he's introducing people yes we are to laugh at some of these characters but we're to laugh at these characters because of what they're going through not necessarily because of who the characters are specific um it's a fantastic movie and if you can find it please watch it true stories it has almost everything in common with ferris bueller except i like this and and it's funny (laughs) and a a fantastic cast i mean a fantastic fantastic cast. cast this is this is uh, John Goodman's first big breakout role yeah. in a film and uh, and he's fantastic in it he really is and he does his own singing he sings a, a, a lot of uh, non-Talking Heads people sing <laughs> Talking Heads songs in this film and if you're not a big fan of Talking Heads or if you're not a, a big fan of, of quirky comedies and if you're not a big fan of vignettes that end in weird places where <laughs> Spalding Gray is <laughs> mapping out the history of a town with the food that's served in front of him or characters that haven't spoken to each other in years for no real apparent reason, or a woman that hasn't left the bed because she's rich enough not to, not because she's sick. <laughs> then maybe it's not your cup of tea, but boy, it is mine, and it's been my my favorite since I first saw it in '86. So, to, uh, true stories. Go find it. And that's it. We're done, Steve. That's We're right. Done. We put another one of them classic films in our rearview mirror. Yeah. Bye bye.
right? In the rearview mirror of our stolen Ferrari. That's right. Yeah. Thanks for the Ferrari, jerks. <laughs> <laughs> Stealing cars is good. Here, I'll make you feel better. <laughs> cough, cough. I'm sick. Uh, cough, cough. <laughs> hey, Steve, you know what? We just did a movie about a monster, right? Yes, we did. I think our next movie needs about a monster that we like. Oh, a likable monster. Yeah, or at least one that we like. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how the people in the movie feel that way well, about this monster. Yeah, that's true. Well, why don't we just go? Why, why don't we just go for it and and let's go to the fountainhead. Absolutely. Let's go to the wellspring from which all of these monsters flow. What kind of monsters are we talking about? We're talking about kaiju. Yeah, baby. We're good. And and the 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 one that is uh, referred to as not just any old monster, mm-hmm. but the king of the monsters. Long may he reign. <laughs> yeah, I'd kill you in a second if Godzilla could be my best friend (laughs) right back at you buddy just so we know where we stand (laughs) he makes us fight each other throw you over for godzilla in a second godzilla godzilla says from that one in the 1960s where godzilla actually talked he he told us to fight (laughs) he can only have one best friend you know what you know what i take it back i would gladly let you have godzilla because i got i got a giant turtle that i'd much rather be friends with (laughs) okay i see how it is yeah, I'll take Gamera. You take Godzilla. Mine can fly in space, oh, you. <laughs> and <laughs> and is a friend to children everywhere. That's right, and I'm a kid at heart. So there you so go. So we'll be besties forever. <laughs> Damn wow, you. we haven't even told them told them what movie we're going to do yet. But do, here we they, go. If they haven't guessed it, mm-hmm. what movie? I still hold me in suspense. What movie? <laughs> we're doing the sorrow and the pity. <laughs> no, we're doing <laughs> the monster is humanity. <laughs> We're gonna do Godzilla, yeah. the original black and white, where he gets killed with Alka Seltzer. Yeah. Now, now, just just so people, just so there's no uh, misunderstanding, confusion. We are, yeah. are we we are doing the are we the Americanized Raymond Burr version, correct? Or are we doing the original Japanese version? Oh, we never really discussed that. What should, which one should we do? Should we do the Americanized one or well, do the original translated? Uh, I think the 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 Americanized version is uh, would be the mo the more widely known among our audience I presume yeah and it'll be funnier too yeah because you yeah exactly because you've got Raymond Burr in a completely different trapped place. in a single sound stage <laughs> yeah yeah exactly he's like what am I doing again <laughs> you're describing a giant monster destroying Tokyo why am I doing that because we're paying you <laughs> now shut up and do it pretend you're like you see something because we're paying your rear window now shut up and say the lines <laughs> So that's what we're doing. We're doing the original Godzilla. Yeah, the American release. Yes. Godzilla. The classic black and white Godzilla. Mm-hmm. The first. <laughs> Godzilla what the first. some people argue the best. Oh, yeah. We're going to do that and we're going to see if it lives up to its reputation of being good or bad. We just basically let you know how much we fucking love this character. <laughs> But maybe we were leading you on. Maybe it was all yeah, a ruse. Yeah, yeah, you know, you don't know. I admitted that I love a different kaiju much more than Godzilla. Gamera. But you... I can't want to do Gamera, Steve. No, honey. Well, Gamera's not considered a classic. Which is why I love him more. <laughs> <laughs> Only I understand you, Gamera. <laughs> so that's it. If you guys want to get all the jokes and to know what the hell we're talking about on the next podcast, go out and find Godzilla the original with... With, well, not the original, the American, the American version of the original, <laughs> with Raymond Burr and the awful, awful dubbing. Before we even knew, hey, do we need to make this sync up even a little bit to <laughs> to the lips moving? Does that man need to sound old? Can we just get it, buddy? <laughs> 
<laughs> Go watch Godzilla. Well, that's it. You've made it to the end of another podcast review. Congratulations. Put that tick mark right up there. You've done it. Good job. For late seating, <laughs> for late seating, this has been Jason Harding, and go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives. I'd also like to add that I've got my father's gun and a scorching case of herpes. I'm so sorry. I really thought I told you. <laughs> well, you didn't. I swear, we were caught up in the moment. I'm pretty sure I said it, I'm... but then my mouth was full and I couldn't <laughs> I'm say pretty sure. I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't discussed, but whatever. <laughs> That's fine. Dude, it's not like there are worse things you could have gotten. <sighs> Yeah. Which reminds me, um, how are you on chlamydia? <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole list of things I probably should have brought up. You know, let's just get it all out in the open. Yeah, I'm going to also say this. This is the last time that I willingly get drunk at your house while watching Explorers. <laughs> You know, it, I mean, that's, it's, it's really, it's, it's like walking around waving a loaded gun. You know what I mean? Something's bound <laughs> to happen. I mean. That, that, not very many people realize that Explorers is erotically charged. <laughs> I mean, I, I defy you. Everybody listening to this, if you fi- find your favorite platonic friend, watch Explorers, and I defy you not to have it turn intensely sexual by the end of that movie. Yeah, by the time the rubbery monsters, the rubbery aliens at the end of that movie come out, you should be satiated and asleep. Boy, howdy. It is, yeah. And in this case, infected. Yeah, I am I, so you know, sorry. It's, it's, well, I, can you can you at least chip in 50% for my Valtrex subscription? <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk about okay, it afterwards. Okay. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs> You know, many people listening to the podcast are like, I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) I knew those two had sex watching Explorers once. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's that specific fantasy. It's that one. (laughs) I knew they were doing it. I knew it was two Explorers. I knew it. (laughs) And then there are the people who don't know what Explorers is. They're going to look it up and they're going to go, these guys are the ickiest people on the internet. (laughs) They're gonna. They'll never. They will never ride a tilt a whirl again. <laughs> they'll just pass it up every time the carnival comes to town. Nope. Because there's only one image that's going through their head at this point. <laughs> Me flinging your hat off, <laughs> yes. landing at your wife's feet as she stares and shakes her head, standing in the kitchen doorway, going, "You owe me money, Steve." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then you just hear the jingle of keys. The door closing, <laughs> the car starting up outside. Blaring music playing. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was fun. We've never ended the show where we destroyed your marriage and had gay sex and gave each other venereal diseases just for funs and giggles. <sighs> Hope people enjoyed listening to it. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Lemmy Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Lemmy Listen. And thanks for listening.